I have a story actually about jumping off a literal cliff, which I really didn't want to do onto some kind of bungee thing. And the moment I did that, I realized, gosh, if I can, if I can just get through this, then anything else will seem easier. <laughs> and the same thing is true of starting companies. You know, you, you know that there's a high likelihood of failure and you just have to get comfortable with the fact that That's it awesome. might fail. Welcome everyone to the Ask a CEO show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg Demetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years. He is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their company. And now he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now. Welcome, everybody, to Ask a CEO Show. I'm Greg Demetrio, your host. My day job is CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, which is an award winning marketing agency here in New York. The show is brought to you by Greg's CornerOffice.com and is filled at LG Studios. All right. Our show brings you the journeys of CEOs from all over the globe and all industries, chronicling their, their journey to the corner office and what it's like running their companies. Today, we bring you Jennifer Dulski. She's the founder and CEO of Rising Team, elevating team building and training with unique tools. She's held C-level positions at Facebook, Google, and Yahoo. She's held CEO in President roles at early stage and scaling startups. At Facebook, she led the Facebook groups, uh, serving one and a half billion users per month. Now, Jennifer is in demand as a contributor to Fortune, to Forbes, Huntington Post, and is a lecturer on management at the Stanford Graduate School. Her book, Purposeful, by a manager or a movement starter, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Welcome to the Ask a CEO show, Jennifer. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. I'm really Thank you looking so much for forward. having me. Oh my goodness. I'm really looking forward to letting the audience hear about your journey. So our audience is a mix of CEOs and those people on their own journey to the corner office. So hearing from successful CEOs is important to A, other CEOs and those on their journey. But I'd like to start with you giving us a little bit of your background. I, I've already recorded the intro, so they have your bona fides. But what was that journey like? You know, it's interesting. I actually started my career right out of college as a founder. It was The first thing I did was I started a nonprofit in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to help kids become the first in their families to go to college. So I had that kind of early entrepreneurial experience, but I didn't yet work in tech. I actually, I ran this academic program and I taught high school for four years during, during that time. So I have a sort of unusual pathway into being a tech CEO. Um, after that, I went, I did go to business school. I felt like I had been running a business without really the training to do it. And so I, I went and got that degree. And then I've spent the, the rest of all those years, 20 plus years working in tech, 
for me, it was about how do I create positive impact in the world at some kind of scale? And I was convinced that getting into technology was the way to do that. And I spent, as you know, a bunch of time at large companies. So I did long stints at, at Yahoo, and then I was an exec at Google and Facebook, and I've also done several startups. So it was a sort of circuitous journey on my way to being a CEO. Um, this is my, I guess, third time doing it, and it's been a fun ride. It, it's, it's really interesting how it comes about sometimes. It's serendipitous sometimes. Sometimes I've told the CEOs it was a plan from Jump Street. But I think I prefer the serendipity because you never know what's coming next, right? You know, it's funny. The first time I was the CEO, I, when I left Yahoo, I wanted to try my hand being a CEO and I didn't have a good idea. So I, I wasn't ready to, to start my own thing. So I looked for CEO jobs and I ended up, I was very lucky. I ended up with three offers, but very few people hire a first time CEO unless there's something you know, wrong, wrong that needs to be fixed at the company. So I lovingly referred to those companies as baggage, more baggage, and most baggage, <laughs> and, you know, but I, I had to dip my toe in the water and get started. And that's how it happened. So listen, so you had a very interesting athletic uh, career, if you will. And I'm assuming that was in your college. Maybe you could tell us about that because it's it's rather different. It's unusual for sure. So you're not a basketball star. You're not a golf star. What are you? What were you a champion? <laughs> yes, I I was a coxswain on the rowing team actually in high school and college. And for people who aren't familiar with this role, it is the person who sits in the back of the boat where eight people are rowing and essentially serves as a sort of mini coach inside the boat. You steer, you strategize the race, you help them keep pace, and you basically coach each player during the race. So you've probably seen these people because they tend to be very small, where rowers are very large. I'm only five feet tall, which you can't tell on video, but I'm very petite. And I coxed men's crew in high school and women's crew in college. And so I was around regularly, very, very tall people. And truth be told, I think the bulk of my leadership skills came from this experience. Because when you think about it, the job this person has is to bring eight people together to push themselves harder than they really believe that they can go and to create a winning result as a team. And some of the things you have to do are very applicable to what happens in the workplace. So for instance, uh, earlier this week, I was talking to a young woman who is early in her career and she said, you know, I'm a product person. How do I earn the respect of engineers? I'm not an engineer myself. And I just thought back to my time as a coxswain, right? I was not a rower but I had to earn the respect of those people who are working their butts off in the boat. And so it's really, it's the same thing. Part of it is I had to show that I was gonna work as hard as they were. So in the boat, I couldn't row, but out of the boat, I could do every workout. I could run up every sand dune. I could you know, push myself as hard as they did, wake up as early, et cetera. And the other thing is I had to show that I had the competency to help us win. So if they believed that what I said was more likely to lead to a victory, meaning I could speak their language, then they were likelier to trust me. And so I learned all kinds of lessons, like the fact that 
different people are unique and they want their feedback in different ways. You know, you have this odd thing where you have to give feedback to people in real time in front of everyone else or else you won't win. And so I learned, for instance, that some people really wanted it direct, like, you know, get that or in, you're too slow, et cetera. And some people really wanted it more encouraging, like you're almost there, just a little bit faster. And if you gave the opposite feedback to the opposite person, they'd be really upset and they wouldn't listen to you. So little lessons like that um, translate very, very well to the workplace. But part of it's a psychology game. You, know, you have to identify the players. You can't tell the players without a scorecard, they say. So from yeah. you're going like, okay, now I have all these C-level executives working around me. How do I encourage them? They're not dumb people, they're smart people. And how do I gain their respect? And I was, you know, being, like you said, running up and down the sand dunes and doing all the same exercises, the rowing team, they had to respect you. They didn't have a choice because you were, you were showing them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. I think that's, that's right. Great. And that happens at work too. You know, if, if engineers have to stay late, for some kind of release, I'm going to stay late too. I'm going to be working alongside them. I'm going to order them milkshakes or whatever it takes. And exactly. um, so those those concepts really translate well. Exactly. So you worked at a bunch of bohemians, Google, Facebook, Yahoo. How did that prepare you for your founding of your own venture, especially rising team? Yeah. So it's it has been fascinating to work at those companies um, to mainly to see them scale. So especially in the early days of Yahoo, I got there when it was four hundred people, and when I left, I think it was almost fifty thousand people. So to see what scale looks like and how you put things into place that make companies still function well, and also honestly, what mistakes some companies make along the way, I learned a lot from both what went well and what didn't go well at each of those companies. The other thing that was crucial to the founding of Rising Team is that I've led teams of all different sizes, both you know small teams where I was the direct line manager early in my career, and then very large teams where I managed multiple layers of managers. And what I saw is that when the teams were working well, when the people were happy and engaged, everything clicked and the organizations worked better. And this is really clear in all the research. If you look at the data, it basically says companies with more engaged employees are more productive, more profitable, have better retention, all of that. And I realized that the managers were really not that equipped to do that job well. There's just limited um, tools out in the marketplace that really do what managers need to help them build teams. And, you know, I was the beneficiary of many of those things like an executive coach and being sent to fancy trainings and so forth. And I always felt like that was a little bit like being taught how to fish and then being brought to the lake with no fishing pole, because I would learn something off in a training by myself. And then I would get back to my team and it was up to me to figure out how to translate everything I had learned with my team. And so what we've built at Rising Team is essentially like the tools I wish I had when I was a, a manager and a manager of managers to help people not only learn the leadership concepts, but have a tool to implement those concepts with their team. So you've taken a lot of your experience at training and homogenized it into a new set of uh, tools for managers of teams. I mean, growing up in a business, you've, we've all floundered with developing teams that really work. 
So your experience applied to that venue. Uh, it's something I'm interested in, quite frankly. And I've started perusing the book, and I'll, I'll, I promise you, I will get through it. Uh, it's on my it's on my stack. I promise. So okay. So now you you you, you were experienced in in startup stages and, and scaling companies. Now, tell us how that helped you when you launched Rising Team. Where, what did you gain from those startups to apply to Rising Team? So the first thing I will say is that starting any venture like this is a little bit scary, right? You have to jump off a cliff not knowing what whether you're going to succeed or not. And so ha having done it before was helpful, right? Just having jumped off that cliff before was um, helped me understand that I could do it again. And that's a sort of life mantra I've had. It's in the book. If you get to that chapter, I have an acronym for it, which is a very clunky acronym, but I call it ICTICTA. It stands for, if I can do this, I can do anything. And throughout my life, I've just tried to do things that really scare me because I've found that they make other things seem less scary in comparison. So, you know, I, I have a story actually about jumping off a literal cliff, which I really didn't want to do onto some kind of bungee thing. And, um, you know, the moment I did that, I realized, gosh, if I can, if I can just get through this, then anything else will seem easier. <laughs> and the same thing is true of starting companies. You know, you, you know that there's a high likelihood of failure and you just have to get comfortable with the fact that That's it awesome. might fail. Awesome. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, in my, in, in my journey, the one thing that I was taught, and I taught it by my best friend in life, my brother, who was a corporate vice president at Payne Webb, we had 600 people under him. And he said to me, he says, you know, when I go about a decision, I'm looking for the worst case scenario. If I can identify the worst case scenario, and I can live with that, then there's no reason for us not to move forward, because we'll yeah. probably be successful. Right. Exactly. And honestly, even if you're, if you're not, you can live with it. And that's what I, that's the conversation I had with myself on my first startup. I said, okay, running a venture backed startup, I looked at the stats. It's actually more likely that I would have reported seeing a UFO, which apparently one in eight US adults has reported, than that my venture backed company would succeed, which was one in 10. And I thought, okay, well, what happens if it fails? You know, will I still have people in my life that love me and, you know, will stand by my side? Could I get another job? You know, all of these questions. And the answer to all of those was yes. So I went for it. Even after identifying the worst case scenario, the jump, <laughs> exactly. the jump is significant for sure. Yeah, that's sure. true. So, all right. So the term startup conjures a vision of an empty room with a desk or two and a whiteboard. What's the reality in starting a, a startup? Yeah. So it's funny. My first two startups were very much like that. In fact, my my very first one, which was, you know, was a nonprofit, I had... I had an office we used to call the office because it used to be a closet and was transformed into an office. So we started with very, very scrappy roots. And my second startup, which was the deal map, um, which ended up being very successful and we sold it to Google, 
you know, that one we started in the basement of a dentist's office. And we used to have people coming in all the time by accident asking for their x-rays and stuff while we were at work. So it's, there are a lot of, you know, very in the garage kind of stories. Rising Team has been completely different because we started it in the pandemic. And so instead of a scrappy office, it's my dining room, which is literally where I'm sitting at this moment. And our whole team is remote. Some people we've never met in person. And so it was a virtual whiteboard, if you will, instead of a physical one. And it actually, it's been really helpful because Rising Team specifically is a product meant to help teams, whether they are remote or hybrid or newly back in the office, having our own team live and work like that and get to use our product as you know testers, it's actually been really helpful in making sure the product is built in a way that works. for teams. So you, you literally have to walk the walk. Yeah, exactly. And it, it helps us using our own product helps our team stay connected and grow together. So... So, I mean, not everything is smooth and smooth. So what were a couple of the obstacles you ran across in in bringing a rising team up and through the startup phase? Yeah, I think that, you know, the biggest obstacle in general for most startups is what they call finding product market fit, right? You, it doesn't really work until you have a product that is useful enough and liked enough by your audience on a large enough market that it can be a big business. And so I knew the problem area we were facing was a big problem for lots of people. Exactly how to solve that problem took some time to figure out. So we started the company kind of mid 2020. And then at the end of 20, but late 2020 and early 2021, we built a couple different prototypes. We tested them with real users. We asked, you know, we did lots of surveys and user research. And we found that some of the ideas we had were really working and others weren't. And the main learning for us was that when we talked to managers, they essentially wanted three things. So we had built a product that was primarily to be used between a manager and an individual person on their team, one-on-one with each person. And it was sort of meant to be used on a weekly basis. And what we heard from managers was three things. One, I'm super busy. So I can't, I just can't do this all the time. I need to have something that works on a slightly less frequent cadence. Two is I want it to be as automated as possible because I just, there's so much I have to think about already that I'd like to have to think about this less. And three was rather than one-on-one, which is important, they wanted help connecting their teams because in the work environment we live in right now, they just felt at a loss to kind of help their team feel like a cohesive unit. And so that's why we ended up building the leader kit, the, this latest version of our product, which is essentially a monthly toolkit for managers where they get one leadership theme per month. They get 20 to 30 minutes of training, and then they get a fully guided one to two hour team building session to do with their team on that theme. So we essentially made it fast, we made it automated, and we made it connect the team. And that's the thing that's really made it sink. So people, bite, you know, bite-sized, bite-sized pieces that are very manageable in terms of time. That's we right. Look, and we all look at the limited amount of time we have and go, I can't possibly do another three hour webinar. I can't do it. There's no way it's going to happen. Right. Exactly. But the, and but the, the concept of turning it to a monthly, first of all, is genius. 
And the bite-sized pieces is doubly genius because people can <laughs> do that. That's yeah. right. And I, this came from talking to people who were using the product or might use the product and asking them what they needed. And so that's the thing that that takes some time at startups. And you know, if you you also have to be sure that you have enough money to get over that hump, right? So managing finding the product. Ever present fit. money problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, listen, so now we have a product that people love and now we just have to tell more people about it. So it's much easier. So tell me about the three C's, coach, clarity, and connect. It seems yeah. to be very important to you. It is, you know, and you brought it up earlier that I was this, I was a crew coxswain. And for me, what I've seen is that great leaders of teams are a lot like great sports coaches. And essentially great sports coaches do three things. They coach, which is I understand each person on the team, what they're great at and how to help them reach their potential. That's what I was talking about, about each person wants their feedback differently, et cetera. And, you know, in Rising Team, we have all these assessments where you can get to know each person and what they need and what they're good at and so forth, which helps you coach. The second piece is clarify. So great coaches know what winning looks like. And they have a plan to get there. You know, they have a playbook. They have a plan. They know what everyone's role is. And everyone knows what their job is to help the team win. And that's what great managers too, do too. They have a vision for their team. They have clarity around who's doing what around the goals and what success looks like. And the third piece is connect, which is your team feels like a team. They want to help each other when things go badly. They want to cheer each other on when things go well. And so again, great managers, they coach, they clarify, and they connect. I think that also, you could add another one in their culture because that connection part is all about culture and building that trust amongst the teams. But That's before, absolutely before right. Back on, I will go back on that a little bit. Your book is called Purposeful. Are you a manager or a movement starter? It's a Wall Street, uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller. Who should read the book and why? So the book is about how all of us, every single one of us, has the power to build movements around the causes that we care about. Whether that thing is something you want to get done in your local community or your school or something you want in your workplace or it's a whole new company you want to build. The big aha for me, and I wrote this book while I was at change.org and partially while I was at Facebook was that ordinary people do extraordinary things every day. And also that there was a deep similarity between what traditional activists, movement starters do to be successful and what entrepreneurs do to be successful. So things like creating a clear vision, mobilizing people around your vision, navigating criticism and obstacles, they're the same. And so for me, the book is for any regular person who wants to make change in the world, as well as leaders and entrepreneurs who want to create big businesses that become movements. And yeah, so. So at, <laughs> at, what, point, at what point did you realize you wanted to write this book? You know, I had always thought about writing a book. I, I think it's maybe the the former teacher in me. And I actually, I now teach again, but it's, there's something about being a teacher that makes you want to put this stuff down in writing. Um, I got very lucky because what happened was I was giving a speech at a conference one day, a sort of big conference on the future of work. And after my talk, someone came up to me 
in from the audience and said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, well, yeah, I've thought about it, but I have no idea how you would go about doing that. And he said, I work for Penguin Random House. How about we talk about it? No kidding. Yeah. There you go. It was so I I realized that this doesn't happen to everyone. And I got very lucky in this case. And I had a lot of fun writing it and interviewing the people for it. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. It's it's interesting. I've been interviewing some CEOs who have written books and the way they came around to to actually sitting down to do it is completely different one to the other. One to the other is completely. I interviewed one CEO said I wanted to write a book when I was four years old. It just took wow. me a long time to get there, you know. So yeah, it's just, it's really so 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 interesting. That's why I love my job and CEOs and her learning about this story. So we've come up to the time where I need to take a bit of a break. They're telling me it's time to let the commercial people and the sponsors have their say. So we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we'll be back in a moment. And we're back with Jennifer Dulski. Jennifer, what a great great start to this interview. So let's talk about Rising Team that exists today. There's there's a statement that I love to to reiterate. It's called culture eats strategy for lunch. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I love this phrase too. It's so interesting because I think there are people out there who think, oh, these softer skills, they don't matter. It's all about the strategy and execution. And the truth is, and you look at the data, all of the execution is powered by people first feeling seen and heard and valued. So the soft skills underlie everything we do. They are the foundation for everything we do. And if I like, if I look at the, the monthly themes that we cover at Rising Team, things like psychological safety, amplifying your talents, sharing gratitude and appreciation, building resilience. Every single theme when you dig into the research says teams that do this are more innovative, more creative, more engaged, et cetera. So the data is really clear that all of those softer skills really matter. And the story I love about this actually is, um, you know, I think everybody loves Oprah. She tells this amazing story about how when she interviews even the most famous people in the world, like Beyonce and Barack Obama, at the end of their interviews, everyone turns to her and says, did I do okay? They just want to know that they did a good job and they're valued and that they have a path. And so taking care of that is so foundational and critical everything else that's on such top a, of it. such a simple thing such a simple simple thing we're in twenty five thousand square feet here we have all different types of employees from management type to production workers and i find that my trip around this shop every morning to say good morning to everybody pays huge dividends there is nobody here that's not going to know that i respect them for what they do and how they do it and I'm the biggest praise machine in the world. You can, you know, you can tie your shoe correctly, and I'm going to tell you what a great job you did. And it means and that's awesome. It means so much. I mean, it's not rocket science. That part is not rocket. It's humanity, I think. And I think you'd be oh, surprised, though, how many people yeah. don't don't do it or think they do it, but people yeah. don't hear it and feel it. So that makes such a big difference. You going around and saying hello and praising people, yeah, that that will carry your company forward. I worked for I worked for a manager uh, back in the way back when, 
And we, they were a team of about 10 of us, right? And he would walk in in the morning and totally ignore us. So we finally said to him, he said, not for nothing, but why don't you even say good morning to us? And his response was, are you ready? I don't even say good morning to my wife. Why should I say good morning to you? Oh, what school did you go to, sir? <laughs> right? Right? Wow. So yeah, right? So we all have these kind of stories. So yeah, you got a, a, a remote team, which is pretty cool. What do you look for in terms of a new hire when you can't sit across the table and really, really get that sense? What do you look for? Yeah. So we hire for two things. And I always say that um, people will be successful at Rising Team if they deliver on two things. One is results for whatever it is you've been asked to do. And the second one is values, Fit, you know, living by the values of our company. So one of the first things we did when we started Rising Team is create mission, vision, and values. We're very explicit about what the values of the company are and you need both of those things. So for instance, if you have someone who is delivering on all their results, beating all their goals, but not treating others well, that isn't going to fly at our company. And vice versa, if you have someone who is living by every value and is the nicest person on earth, but can't deliver what we've asked them to do, that also isn't going to work. And what we generally find is that people are happiest and most successful when they are doing the things that come naturally to them and that they love to do. Those are talents. It's why we have a whole unit in um, a whole kit in the leader kit around um, amplifying talents. And so what we try to do is interview and have projects and things like that, that can help identify whether people are in a zone of their natural talent. And we care way more about that than about specific previous experience in the role. Because one of the things that happens, especially as we're trying to create more diverse workforces, is that not everybody has had the same opportunities to get the same experience as everyone else or to go to the same schools as everyone else. And so we really try to look for people who have natural potential at things and then can live by our values and deliver results. That's very, that's a very interesting. It broadens the pool for sure. When you're yeah. not looking at the, you know, you're going to take off the items on a resume and go, well, wrong school, wrong. They weren't at the, right. and you look behind those, the CVs and, and resumes and you say, well, what's your real life experience? You know, yeah. how difficult has it been for you to get where you are? I mean, because everybody, if you look in any, any industry, any ethnic group, any, anything, there are icons who have risen above what their starting station was. How did they get there? The more you read about those people, the more you learn, it's tenacity sometimes. It's, I want it, I'm going to go and get it. Those are the kind of people we want to have, right? That's absolutely true. And in fact, when I say results, one of the things that we look for in terms of measuring results is what we call patterns of accomplishment. And it doesn't have anything to do, again, necessarily with a, a specific job. I mean, you can have, you know, for instance, I look at some of the kids that I worked with in um, breakthrough, which is the nonprofit I started. And boy, were they, did they have hard circumstances. And for them, just finishing high school and being the first in their family to go to any four-year college was a huge accomplishment. And so understanding, as you said, what obstacles people have overcome gives you a sense of how they might treat future obstacles. 
And you have to encourage that. You have to encourage yeah. that. We're going to throw responsibilities at you. You might not be totally prepared for it, but we see in you the ability to overcome that obstacle. And that just, they blossom. I, I, in my experience, you know, we've given people a chance to do stuff that they really didn't have other than the desire to do. They needed to learn stuff. Of course, we helped them learn it. But once they learned it, it was like, wow, they just, they just blossomed. It's great. Yeah. I love being a, I love being a CEO. You get to play with <laughs> things and learn stuff. I learned from all of these conversations I have. That's one of the reasons why I love to do the Ask a CEO show. I learn from all you guys. All you guys. Have and I'm sure vice versa. Different yeah. types of companies in, in different walks of life, different industries, you name it, bigger companies, smaller companies, international companies. And guess what? We all put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time, right? So listen, Indeed. so you're in charge of communicating all these wonderful missions and, and visions and statements for the company because you're remote. How do you approach that? Yeah. So it's interesting. As I mentioned, this is one of the very first things we did. I really believe, and you'll see it in the book purposeful. There's a whole chapter on creating vision and being super clear about your vision. So we spent some time on that, even the early team together, articulating it, getting the words, like the words around these things really, really matter. And when you're crisp, it helps people understand what it is they're trying to do. So for instance, for rising team, we envision a world where everyone in the workplace feels deeply understood, supported, and empowered to reach their goals. And we deliver that through the mission of empowering managers to build more engaged, connected, and successful teams. Did I so, steal that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it, there's a whole section, as I said in the book, about how to create a clear mission and vision. And the team really got involved in helping with those words. And then the thing that's important is repetition and use of those things. So you can't just create them and put them in a box. You know, we regularly talk about them at our team meetings. I use often customer testimonials to show how we're delivering. So, you know, I got a quote the other day that from a team member who did one of our sessions and she said, I loved it so much. I've been at this company two years and we've never done anything like this. I finally feel like I'm being invested in. And like that ties so directly to the vision we have for what the world could look like if every team on earth were to use this product. And so you, you give the team a sense of both how it's coming to life and what they individually are each doing to help bring it about. Amazing, amazing stuff. What's next for Rising Team? Yeah, so more teams, right? I mean, we're relatively new. We launched actually only in July of 2021. So we've already had, as I said, great responses. We have teams, you know, from companies as large as Apple to, you know, nonprofits like the San Diego Food Bank. So it's working at all different kinds of teams. We want to just get out to more teams, more places, et cetera, developing more content. So we have these monthly themes and we need to keep making that great content and tools for people. And then some ideas we have, like right now, it's designed for teams of a manager plus up to 10 people. But we envision that we might be able to do, say, company-wide versions where you'd split into breakout groups and things like that. So there's a lot of exciting stuff on our agenda. A lot of building going on. A lot, a lot of building going yeah. on. Isn't that ex the exciting part? It, it is. Seeing it yeah. and then building it. I mean, I remember... Now, you got to remember, we're in a different kind of business here. We have a physical plant and we have an agency side and a studio side. 
But I do recall after we moved into this new space, it was a Sunday. Why I was here on a Sunday, I don't really care. I can't really tell you. But I'm standing in the middle of the warehouse and I just looked around and I go, wow, we did this. What a feeling. Yeah. What a feeling. So whatever you've done, you must have a bunch of those feelings. But that's the stuff that keeps you going. I mean, that's right. And I think, you know, for us, again, it's um, seeing the reactions from people who use it and seeing that it is so valuable and helpful to them. That gives me the excitement to keep going. There's also, you know, they say, you know, you should find what you love and then find a way to get paid for it. Like I always um, when people would ask me, what's your you know, what what are you doing on your best day? What's your favorite day at work for me? The best days were always team offsite day, like when you could get the team together in person and do, you know, team building and strategy and so forth. And so I basically get to spend every day building team offsite day type activities for every other team on earth. And so that it is fun to build. So devoting yourself entirely to this company is very interesting, but how do you balance your personal life? How do you, how do you keep yourself from getting burnt out? Yeah, I think for me, there's two things. One is I call it the work-life mashup. So for me, I've never believed in the words work-life balance because it just never felt like you could get these things totally equal at the same time. And so I just decided I was going to mush them together um, like you do with two tracks of music or something. And even when my kids were small, like in my first startup, The Deal Map, I you know, our office was very close to where the kids took dance classes. And so they would, you know, run over after school and I would do their bun and then they would go to dance and they'd sometimes come over and do their homework. And so would other people's kids, you know, we made it a place where everybody's work and life could mash up together as they got older. You know, when I was working at change.org and we had teams in 18 countries I wanted to go visit the teams and I thought, well, why don't I take my kids? Because then they can see the world too. And so we would go on spring break. I would take one week of vacation with them. And then I'd do one week of work and they could get to see, you know, they met some of the most amazing change makers in the world in places like Turkey and India, Thailand, and places we probably never would have gone. And, you know, now my kids are older, they're in college. So I have to say it's a little bit easier to balance it when they're not at home. But, you know, they've helped me now on everything from, you know, opinions on the logo. One of them helped create the name. So I still mash up my work and my life together. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, when you, back to what you said, if you do what you love, you're never really working that hard. Well, not, you're working hard, but you're never really working. You just love. I tell everybody, they're going to carry me out the front door in a plastic bag because I'm not leaving. I love what I do. <laughs> that's <laughs> great. And I will say it's not always easy. I don't want to make it sound like it was just, no. you know, peach pie the whole time. I think, you know, what I learned sort of partway through, though, is that feeling guilty didn't actually make me better at either being a mom or being a CEO. And so I just tried to say, I'm going to do the best that I can. And if sometimes I, you know, I'm not as great as I want to be on either thing, I'm going to give myself permission. That that's okay. Yeah, there you go. Excellent. That's a good, good point. Give yourself permission to be human. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So now tell me about Purposeful and why do you think it's become a Wall Street Journal bestseller? I mean, you, you got to do something to have that happen. So tell me about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's that um, everybody has dreams, you know, of what they want to do. And this is a book that basically says, you can do it. All of us can do it. And here are stories of a whole bunch of regular people who've done it and what they did. And so it's both inspirational and very tactical and has a bunch of ideas for how to get started. And one of the things that we cover is that every single, even the biggest movements you've seen, the Women's March, the, you know, the um, disability rights movement, like all of these things, they all start generally with one small action of some kind. And so it's a book that basically just encourages people to get started with something. You, you almost took my next question away because ideas without action are just dreams, right? Ideas can get crushed for a myriad of reasons. What advice would you give the audience about overcoming those? Yeah, it's so interesting. So we talked about the three C's of Rising Team, right? Coach, Clarify, and Connect. The book, Purposeful, I also have three C's. I don't know why I have an obsession with C's, but um, they just come to me this way. So for the idea of starting movements or companies, I say it is courage, community, and commitment. So the first C is just have enough courage to take that small step. I often describe it like starting a standing ovation at a show that was kind of pretty good. You know, it's not like you stand up at Hamilton, but you stand up at a show that was okay and you're not sure if anyone will join you. That's what it feels like to be just brave enough to get started on these things. The second one is community, which is you just can't do it alone. You have to be willing to ask for help and encourage people around you to join you. That's what creates these kinds of movements. And the third is commitment. And this is the piece you talked about. Your ideas can get crushed and it's just about sheer determination. I think about you know some of the earlier startups I did where we had one sort of not successful thing after another. And I often used to call myself too stubborn to fail. Like I just was like, we are going to keep going. We're going to figure it out, whatever it is. And I talk about it sometimes being like climbing a mountain. You know, some days are super sunny and you're halfway up and you brought a picnic lunch and some days are really stormy and you're at the bottom. Right. And the key thing is just, you've got to keep climbing every day and you ideally bring a, you people you want to climb with. You have a kindred soul in Kara Golden from Hint Water. Yes, I know Kara. Take no, no for an answer and just would figure it out. You know her That's birthday? right. Oh, yeah, I know Kara. Yeah. Our, matter of fact, we just went live with our interview today. Oh, that's great. Yeah, she's terrific. And I actually, Kara's story is in the book, Purposeful. I interviewed her for that. that right? I knew her yeah, before, but yes, it's go. an Excellent. amazing story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys are just tenacious. And I just love it. The fact that you step off the cliff and you go, all right, failure is not an option. I have to do whatever I have to do because this can't fail, right? That's right. So, I know I've taken up a whole lot of your time. And in closing, I always ask my guests the same question. Because the audience is on their journey to the C-suite, what was the best advice you've ever received that could be either personal or business or both that would help them? Yeah, my favorite advice comes from one of my favorite college professors, a guy named Tom Gilovich. And he did this great study on regret and he basically said that in the short term, we tend to regret errors of commission, things that we do that we wish we hadn't done, like 
oh my gosh, I asked that person out and they said no. It was so embarrassing. And in the long term, we tend to have much deeper you know, regret for what they call errors of omission, the things we wish we did that we never did. So I, if I had only asked that person out, they could have been the love of my life. And so I have taken a lot of the decisions in my life based on this advice. What will I regret more not having tried? Saying no to an opportunity sometimes is not a good thing. Because in retrospect, you go, that could have been, that could have what been. What if, right? Yeah, right, yeah. exactly correct. So, but thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Please tell the audience how they can connect with you, how they can find out more about Rising Team, and how they can get your book. Yeah, sure. So I am at Jay Dulski on pretty much everything, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, the Rising Team Leader Kit. We'd love it if you want to try it. You can go to risingteam.com or follow us on social. You can actually try your first month free or sign up for a demo. We'd love to show it to you. And Purposeful, you can get at purposefulbook.com or on Amazon. Terrific. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Come back anytime. Thank you. So great meeting you. So that's a wrap for today. So folks, don't miss any of the upcoming Ask a CEO interviews. We'll have invited guests from all industries all over the country and the world. You can visit gregscorneroffice.com uh, for the full video version, or you can listen to the podcast on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or any of your favorite streaming channels. So if you like what you saw, please help us out, share, and uh, distribute widely. And if you can, subscribe. So thank you all very much, and we'll see you next time. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.